Welcome to the Losing Weight with Fasting and Mindful Eating podcast. I am your host, Monika Banach, an advanced practice nurse and a weight loss coach. I am so grateful for you taking the time to listen to today's episode. I am super excited to have Mary on today, Mary Roberts. We will be discussing binge eating and food addictions and how Mary has overcome these herself and currently helping others to do the same. She works with clients one-on-one and in groups, equipping them with the tools they need to find their freedom and lifelong food sobriety. Mary has suffered from disordered relationship with food her whole life and she found her freedom from food at age 42. We will discuss how she did it and give you some tips to help you with food addiction struggles as well. Hello, Mary Roberts. Thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time to chat with me. I'm super excited. I actually, I came across you from Stephanie, you know, Mm -hmm. Stephanie, she's like, you got to, we actually talked about you on our first podcast. And it's like, you got to check out Mary's Instagram. She's amazing. (laughs) Keto Mary 71, right? Yes. And I'll post all the, your info later on, but give us a little history on how you overcome like you said, this ordered relationship with food. Was there like a specific breaking point in your life or anything in particular? Give us a little history on this. This is a huge topic. Like a lot of people, this is a, as you know, a big deal for a lot of people, the whole disordered eating, binge eating or. Yes. I think it's more widespread than, than we realize. So I always say I've had a lifelong dysfunctional relationship with food. You know, it goes back to when I was a kid. I grew up in an alcoholic home. So, I mean, it's not uncommon for children of alcoholics to either, they usually either become some sort of alcoholic or drug addict themselves, or they have a problem with, you know, they develop an eating disorder. Those are two very common outcomes growing up in an alcoholic household. So that was, so I went the food route. And I just think, you know, from, you know, as a child, the, you know, early on, it was a comfort thing, Mm. you know, I used it for soothing. So, you know, that, you know, going back to a kid and then I just struggled, you know, off and on, I developed the first time I noticed like a problem with my weight was in junior high. I was a little bit chubby and that's how I would describe it now. Like looking back, I was a little bit chubby, but you know, as a 13 year old, you think, Oh my, you know, I just thought I was like enormous because, you know, I wasn't like, I wasn't a stick figure. Mm -hmm. I've always been more like, I think average, you know, was always more average size, but I, you know, perceived myself as being fat, but I, so I started, you know, paying attention to food and became obsessed with it. And so I ended up putting on weight and I went on my first real diet in high school and basically it was extreme caloric restriction. I would, you know, eat like a banana and a figurine bar at lunch. And I would go home and I would like make a a sandwich and I would count out the little ham slices and, and I would weigh Fritos out on a scale, my mom's Weight Watchers food scale. And I would have this little, you know, so I was eating very low calorie and I dropped a lot of weight quick, like over 40 pounds in like a month and a half or so Mm. and lost really quick. And that was like my first experience with a diet. And from that point on, it was like, you know, up and down with my weight by junior year of high school, I was hospitalized for bulimia. So I had developed it into, you know, binging and purging. And I struggled. I struggled with that, you know, through high school. And then after high school, I got married, had my first child at 19. So of course, there was, you know, I gained like 60 something pounds, my my Mm. first pregnancy, I totally took advantage of like, you know, eating for two. And I had a lot of, you know, fast food binges. And so basically most of my adult life, I just spent going up, up and down on the scale. Mm -hmm. And I created what happened was I, you know, I never really was like, I was not obese until I started 
really doing, you know, more binging and less dieting. Mm -hmm. And so through my twenties and thirties, I, of course I became obese. I struggled with disordered eating. You know, I would eat in secret. I would, you know, go through drive-thrus and pretend I was ordering for more than one person. But in reality, it was for me. I did a lot of, I mean, if there was an infomercial for something, you know, some program or diet pill, or, I mean, I did all of them. I tried everything. Mm -hmm. I was always buying exercise programs. I, you know, joining gyms, quitting gyms. Like I was just basically obsessed with food and with my body and, you know, I couldn't really think about much else, like everything, my life centered around that. So just very disordered in, in my thinking and in, in my behavior. And ultimately it led me to, at age 42, I had been diagnosed several years prior with type two diabetes. I oh, had wow. psoriasis. I had sleep apnea. I snored. Mm-hmm. I had allergies and asthma my entire life. I was sick regularly. I had high blood pressure. I was on medication for high blood pressure, medication for diabetes. And I was just basically a a depressed mess. And it was like at age 42, it was a turning point. A friend of mine, I was familiar with low carb. And so I was attempting like my third, my third go around at Atkins. (laughs) And I had shared with a friend what I was doing. And he said to me, Oh, you should do keto. And I'd never heard of it before, but his family, he had a son that had epilepsy. And so their family was doing Mm -hmm. it to be in solidarity with their son to, you know, live by example. And they lost weight, you know, he was losing weight from it. So he said, do keto. And I had never heard of it. So I went and, you know, of course, the first thing I did was Google, right. Which in, you know, 2014, there was not a whole lot of information and it wasn't until late 2014 that I read Keto Clarity. That was like the first book that yeah. I that I read about. That was keto. my first book that I read about keto when I started keto. Like, yeah, years, like, I, I mean, you. it was really the only thing yeah. available, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So in 2014, I don't know, it was a turning point. I got to that point where, like, you know, one day, you know, after an, a binge the night before on my husband's birthday cake and, and ice cream, I woke up the next morning, like I stepped on the scale because I did that every day. And I was 260 pounds and I was like, well, this is a new high for me. Like I've never been this weight before. And I remember just feeling so like, I don't know, overwhelmed by that. And then of course my blood sugar was almost as much as my, as my weight, especially because the binge the night before. And I don't know, something like snapped that day. And Mm -hmm. I just decided, you know what, I, this is, I, I need to do this now. And so one thing that was really important to me, like in the beginning was my goal was to not cheat because every diet that I'd ever been on, it always ended with a cheat that it always Mm -hmm. ended with, you know, that, that voice of sabotage that would tell me, Oh, you've been so good. Just, you know, have a cheat day today or have a cheat meal or, Oh, it's been months since you've had McDonald's go ahead and get it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no big deal. Count it in your, in your calories, that kind of, like I was always falling for that, but yeah. it was always the beginning of the end for me. So when I started, you know, keto, my goal was no cheating because I knew mm-hmm. that if I cheated, that that would be the end of it. And I really wanted to see, you know, what, what would happen. And keto was the first time that I didn't feel like I was on a diet. I wasn't suffering from hunger. The things that I was eating were satisfying me, which was completely different from, you know, counting calories and eating mostly carbs, I was never satisfied. So, you know, keto gave me the, it didn't, I always say, you know, it healed my health issues, mm-hmm. but it didn't fix my eating disorder. Like it, it was just the vehicle. It gave me the wherewithal the you know, the, the mental clarity that I needed to address my disordered eating. Gotcha. So are you still doing keto at the moment? Are you still following? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'm keto for life. I have no desire to go back to the way I used to eat. Gotcha. By the way, you look amazing. I'm going to, I will post your before and after photos because the transformation, it's amazing. So how much weight have you lost from the before picture? Was that in 2014 when you started? Yeah. The first year I lost 83 pounds and then, but altogether it took me 22 months to lose 106 pounds. And I've more or less been in maintenance since, you know, 
since then, but you know, I'm a little bit up and down with my weight going through menopause. So, and I also, I lift weight. So there's been some, you know, muscle growth in these last few years Mm -hmm. too. So I'm no longer at, you know, over a hundred pounds, but close. (laughs) No, but that's amazing. You look amazing. You you look absolutely incredible. And I'm sure you feel incredible as well. Yes. Phenom- I feel so much better. Like I just was always fatigued, mm-hmm. depressed, you know, I always felt hungry. So, you know, and then you don't feel, you just feel generally unwell when you have diabetes and, and all these that like the psoriasis was uncomfortable and, you know, so the speaking asthma. Of, speaking yeah. of your health issues, are they pretty much gone? Are you still type two diabetic or are you still, like, how are your health issues? Have they cleared out basically or? Yeah. So basically I reversed all, all my health issues. Diabetes is not, you know, I always say I work with a lot of people to help them reverse their diabetes mm-hmm. and reversing diabetes is not the same thing as curing it. I think people get that confused, you know, mm-hmm. like reverse just means I took it the other direction. I was at, yeah. you know, really high blood sugar and unhealthy insulin levels. And I reversed it. Mm-hmm. to, you know, normal insulin levels and normal, normal blood sugar. And as long as I continue to make the right food choices, yeah. I, you know, maintain a non-diabetic A1C. So if I walked into a doctor's office today with all the numbers that I have, no one would say I was a type two diabetic, but you know, it's like, once it's on your record, it's on your record. So it's reversed. It's not cured. If I were to start eating cake tomorrow, mm-hmm. it would come roaring back. The only thing that hasn't 100% cleared up is the psoriasis. I still struggle mm-hmm. with it a little bit like on my scalp and I don't know why that is. And, you know, I mean, it's not like keto is not a cure all for everything, but I used to have it, you know, other places on my body that was so uncomfortable and painful. And I'm just glad to like, you know, be rid of that. It's like what I have left is very mild, but I don't have asthma anymore. I haven't touched my an inhaler. No. I used to carry an inhaler with me in about, I don't know, about five, six months, maybe into keto one day I realized that I hadn't used my inhaler. And then I thought, where is it even? And I found awesome. it, you know, at the bottom of my purse with like dust stuck to it, you know? So I have a need, you know, once I started keto, I, ne- I never needed the inhaler again. So yeah. So everything has cleared up. My energy is good. I feel really well. And, you know, of course, when I, in the past, you know, when I was obese, I would always attempt to exercise, but I would never go longer than two weeks. I couldn't sustain it because I was trying to do things that were beyond my fitness level, you know, and of course that obsessive Mm -hmm. disordered brain is like, oh, you have to do it perfect. It's got to be an hour. It's got to be intense. It's got to, you know, so I would like practically kill myself trying to do that. And then I would quit. So since, you know, being keto, you know, I've been keto a little over seven years and I've been consistently going to the gym five days a week for six and a half years. And so that was like unheard of before. That's amazing. And, you know, I'm glad you actually mentioned this whole, like, you know, when people decide to get healthy, they go like all in, like mm-hmm. create, like go to the gym, lift weights. They've never stepped a foot in the gym for <laughs> maybe five years. And then they go and do this crazy workout. It doesn't work. It's yeah. only going to make you want to go less because you're going to be yeah. so sore. You're going to feel defeated. Like, just go for a walk, start off yeah. slow. It, it doesn't have to be this sudden huge, obviously with food, you had to make a big change and decide right. like, no more, I'm not going to go back there. But with exercise, it doesn't have to be this extreme because when it's too much for your body, you're not going to want to continue. You're not going to be motivated to want to go to the gym and get right. healthier. You're going to feel terrible. So yeah. yeah, but going that, back, I like I like the word that you mentioned, food sobriety. Mm, yes, can you kind of touch on that? You said you've been food sober for seven years. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Is it like alcoholic sobriety yeah. or anything like? Can you talk on that a little? Yes. Bit? So in the beginning, I didn't call it food sobriety. I, I said, you know, my, it was no cheating. Like that was my mm-hmm. goal was no cheating. And basically that's the same thing. So for yeah. me, food sobriety is no cheating. I don't eat foods gotcha. that harm my body. I don't binge on foods. That is. And so to answer your question, yes, it is like, you know, the alcoholic mm-hmm. and unfortunately in the eating disorder, and I always get like, when I post about this stuff, there's always, you know, people that give me, give me pushback, but in the eating disorder treatment community, 
that community in and of itself is extremely disordered mm-hmm. and they push the narrative of moderation. And when people are addicts, moderation is not possible. It's not an option. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes to alcohol and drug rehab. And, and when they show up there, yep. the treatment people don't say to them, Hey, listen, we're going to teach you how to drink in moderation. We're going to teach you how to use drugs in moderation, because if you can't, there's mm-hmm. something wrong with you. It's you're disordered. If you can't have one drink and walk away, nobody says that they know that the way you get better is abstinence. And so that's what they say. They go in there and they tell you, you can never drink again unless you want to die. Like you'll go, what did they say? You'll go, you'll, you'll die of like, you know, health problems from the alcohol, or you'll end up dead from driving drunk, or you'll end up in jail. Right. Those are, that's what they tell you. You can't drink, you can't do drugs, Mm -hmm. but when, you know, the failure rate is abysmal in the eating disorder treatment community, because they don't treat food addiction. They don't Mm -hmm. see the addiction part of it. And, you know, there's people that can debate whether it's physical or or emotional, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, addiction is that compulsion to keep going, you know, to keep eating, you eat, eat when you're not hungry. And we could talk about the different, I know we're going to talk about the different types, but I was a Mm -hmm. binge eater. And as a binge eater, I was not capable of having just one piece of anything, mm-hmm. you know, it was always the, you know, one is too many, 10 is never enough. I say that all the time to make a point, you know, if I were capable of eating one cookie or one piece of cake, I never would have been 260 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm not a moderator. And so, you know, in the eating disorder treatment community, they tell us there's no good and bad foods. And, you know, the key is moderation really. It's it's that simple. Like it's so insulting to those of us who have tried for decades because it makes you feel exactly that. Yeah. It makes you feel worse because you're like, Oh my God, there's gotta be something wrong with me because I can't moderate what I'm eating. I can't just have one cookie. Right. Right. So do do you think it's because like I get like with alcohol, obviously you just don't touch alcohol, but food, you still have to, we still have to eat, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe they feel like they have to make it as moderation yeah. because you still have to eat. But what, like, it, what do you do in this situation? Do you just pick certain so, foods that are your triggers and you stay away from them? Or what if everything triggers you? I mean, obviously <laughs> broccoli doesn't trigger people, right? You, I mean, can I mean you it, depends on, it depends on the <laughs> disorder, right? But, right. but in, in general, I think the thing that most like the common theme among obese people is carbohydrates. Like there's no arguing that it's excessive sugar. carbohydrates, it, you know, sugar breads, like it doesn't even have to go in sweet, you know, the bread and pasta and all that is just as addicting as, as the, sh- the stuff that tastes sugary. But yes. so you know, everybody says that, oh, well, it's not the same, you know, because you mm-hmm. have to eat to live, but I don't need to eat donuts to live. I don't need to eat pasta. I don't need rice. I don't need sweet potato. There's plenty of foods on this planet mm-hmm. that I can eat, that I could totally avoid the rest of my life and never, never suffer any health consequence mm-hmm. from it. You know, if I don't eat protein, there's things that will have bad things that will happen to my body. If mm-hmm. I don't eat fat, there's bad things that will happen to my body. But if I don't eat carbs, there's no bad things that are going to happen to my body. Like my body will run and function quite well without having carbohydrates. So I view them, you know, and it's, I don't, I'm not zero carb. I'm not, you know, strictly carnivore or anything. I just am selective about what carbs mm-hmm. I eat. And I definitely don't like you said, trigger foods. I mean, we could call it trigger foods, but basically I put the foods into categories like, you know, mm-hmm. food that is harmful and food that is nourishing. And so I choose to eat food that is nourishing for me. So, you know, something that's harmful, like a cupcake or cookies or chips or like those things have no nutritional value to me. They don't make my life better. They don't help my health. They don't help my energy. They definitely don't help my psyche. Like you get that taste and you just like compulsive want to continue to compulsively eat. So yeah, those are the things I avoid. I just stick with real foods for the most part. I very rarely eat something that comes in a package. And if I do, it's got to be like really great. Are there certain foods that you just completely avoid? Like you said, cupcakes, you know, junk, sugary stuff. You just don't eat, period. No, never. So for carbohydrates, what do you have like on keto or if you... Occasionally 
avocado, guacamole, sometimes spaghetti squash. I really like, I really just don't do so really clean, not even like a sweet yeah. potato carb or no. rice. No, okay. sweet okay. potato, like, so potatoes were one of my binge foods. So okay. I'm not going to eat potatoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you identify some of the trigger, like your binge foods? Like just kind of sit down. Did you have a, per- like a person that was helping you through the binge eating stuff? Did you have a therapist that you were working with that you were able to identify those foods? I've had therapists over the years and I've been part of like, well, you know, I, in, in high school, I was part of, you know, in the hospital treatment program. And mm-hmm. then I've done a couple outpatient ones over the years and I've been through OA and, you know, lots of different programs and none of those were particularly helpful. Like there was like nuggets that I got here and there, but basically, you know, when I started keto, I just went based off of like the the keto recommendations that I could find out there. And I learned, I mean, I knew for sure sugar and grains were going to be off limits because I had no, you know, my, my hunger and fullness signals were broken, Mm -hmm. you know, and those were things. So I just basically looked and said, okay, what are the things I have problems with? What do I always binge on? What Mm -hmm. do I overeat? Okay. Those foods are not allowed, you know? So I just, the first three months I literally ate like bacon and eggs for breakfast and lunch every day. And then Mm -hmm. for dinner, I would do like some sort of salad with meat or veggies with like sour cream, butter, cheese, bacon crumbles on it with a piece of meat. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was really what I did initially. And then, you know, as the online community for low carb, high fat and keto, like expanded, you know, you Mm -hmm. find different ideas and stuff, but I was in a groove, you know, by that time, that first year I did still struggle with alternatives. So you know, I knew that I couldn't eat the real thing, but I was still looking for that sweet fix. Mm -hmm. And so I would hunt down like low carb recipes and about 10 months or so in, I realized that I was not like, you know, I was losing the weight, obviously, and I felt satisfied, but I still had that mental compulsion. And Mm -hmm. that I was like looking for sweet tasting things. And I had found like, early on, I found this recipe for low carb blueberry muffins. And the recipe made six muffins, and they were two carbs each. And so of course, my addictive brain was like, two carbs, That's it. eat all of them for 12 <laughs> carbs. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's how the addict brain works. Yeah. And so I would do that, I would make these like once a week, and I would eat six muffins. And finally, like, you know, nine, 10 months later, I realized, yeah, this is, I'm not free. This is not normal to eat six muffins at once. Are they healthier than if I was buying Costco blueberry muffins? Well, of course, but it's still not normal to eat six muffins at once. And it's not yeah. normal to be like obsessed and thinking about food all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, before I hit the one year mark, I started to like back down from the sweet tasting things. And I, you know, mm-hmm. of course that was like, withdrawal all over again, came to this place of acceptance where, you know, initially it was like, okay, I know I can't cheat. That was my mantra, no cheating, because I know it'll be the beginning of the end. And it was kind of begrudging about, you know, it was like, I wasn't happy about it, but I wanted results. So I was just determined. And, you know, I just basically, you know, aside as far as like the mental stuff, I use sheer willpower to like overcome those negative thoughts, that voice of sabotage. Because physically, I did feel satisfied with what I was eating because of the, you know, the nutrient profile. Mm -hmm. So I felt good physically, but I was still having that head battle. But, you know, after I had the realization of, you know, that I still wasn't free, you know, Mm -hmm. that that eating six muffins at once wasn't normal behavior. And I started to break away from that. I realized that I didn't need those things. Mm -hmm. And my acceptance went from this is what I have to do to this is what I get to do. Thank goodness there's a solution for me. Mm. Like, because I could still be floundering and looking for it for the answer. Right. But I have found the answer and I'm grateful. And that's, so this is what I'll continue to do. There's no reason for me to go back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because this kind of happened to me on keto when I went keto, I think it was like four years ago. I kind of go in and out, but I got addicted to like the keto foods, like mm-hmm. high fat, like pizza, you know, like cream cheese, low carb crust. Like yeah. I would eat like 
even like cheesecake, making keto cheesecake, like I would mm. have like six of those. Yeah. So I truly got addicted to like the keto foods because they were so, I mean, you felt like you could eat as many as you wanted to, but you still right. were, you were not dealing with the real problem. And right. uh, that's food, that's binge eating. And kind of going back to binge eating, isn't there like a diagnostic criteria that there, there is an official, di- I never got an official diagnosis, but okay. there was no doubt about it. Like I, you know, a binge eater eats, a, consumes a lot of food mm-hmm. and typically a lot of calories. Right. It doesn't always have to be a lot of calories. There's people yeah. that binge on vegetables, so they're not mm-hmm. getting a lot of calories, but they're still like, yeah. you know, gorging on food. But I was definitely a carb binge eater. I would eat, you know, six, eight, 10,000 calories. And, you know, over a couple hour period, like most of the time for me, it was in the evening. Like I could very, during the day, I could lots of times very well maintain, you know, like control myself during the day and, you know, just by keeping busy, like with my life. But when that downtime came at night and my family went to bed, that was usually when everything fell apart for me. Mm -hmm. And then I would binge. But I also, you know, compulsive eating is a little different from binge eating. Like there's people who they don't do like, you know, they don't sit down and eat a, a whole thing of ice cream or a whole bag of chips and they, they don't do that, but mm-hmm. they can eat a whole bag of chips by grazing on it throughout the day. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they just don't eat it all at once. So that's that compulsive, compulsive eating is, yeah, compulsive. Gotcha. You start eating and you keep going, even though you have that fullness feeling already, or you're not hungry, you just feel mm-hmm. compelled to keep eating. And I had, you know, I dealt with both of that, both of those. And then, you know, bulimia, the purging, you know, when I was younger, but bulimia is more than just purging too. So like my entire life, I, I've battled the bulimic mentality, Mm -hmm. which is trying to, and we see it happen. People, people that I think that more people than not are disordered with eating. And what I mean by that is when you make a bad food decision and then you do something to try to undo it, that's mm-hmm. disordered. And we see it all the time. You know, people will, they'll say, Oh, I, you know, I, I went off keto and I, I feel terrible. I had all these things that I shouldn't have had. I feel yucky. So now I'm just going to do a three day fast. Mm-hmm. That's disordered. You can't yes. undo that binge or people who are like, Oh, I, you know, I ate stuff I wasn't supposed to. So now I'm going to go run you know, three miles, or I'm going to go run on the treadmill for an hour. That is trying to undo the bad food decision or taking laxatives. I mean, there's different ways that people go about trying to undo their bad working out doing cardio for like six hours or something because you ate something bad. Yeah, it's just, it's not healthy. And you have to, you know, dig deep and figure out how you need what you need to change in order to change that behavior. Because if you don't, if you every time you binge eat or eat off plan, and then you fast for three days, that is not healthy. And fasting is great. Yeah. But if you're doing it in the wrong, that's right. Yeah, that's what's unhealthy. So if somebody, let's say somebody thinks they have a true binge eating disorder, what would you recommend just based on like what you went through? Like, how would you recommend someone to approach seek therapy? I mean, we obviously we always recommend that, right? But So I don't, I mean, there are certain things like that, you know, I think people could definitely, you know, get therapy for it, like, you know, to tackle, like maybe the reasons that are at the root cause of their eating disorder. But Mm -hmm. in general, there's not too many therapists that understand that the problem with eating disorders is that people are, you know, they're addicted. And, and so again, you know, they're trying, they try to push these low calorie, healthy, you know, Mm -hmm. healthy food choices on people. And it's not, helpful. So I think other than the very first step is just acceptance, acceptance that, you know, I'm disordered with food and that I have, you know, behavior issues when it comes to certain types of food, Mm -hmm. that's the first thing. But then also the getting the nutrition right is key. You are not going to be free trying to control portions Mm -hmm. of food, like of your trigger foods. That's not freedom that requires you know, sheer willpower. Um, Yeah. yeah, And that is not, that's not freedom. So in, you know, in order to get free of that, at least like the physical, you know, cravings or the continued compulsion to keep eating is to not feed it in the first place. So I think getting the nutrition right is key. You know, I run with my friend, coach Jessica, we run an eight week food addiction and recovery program. And, you know, it's, 
for using the ketogenic approach. And that's because we believe that, you know, I mean, keto is not a cure all for things, you know, by, by no means, but what we believe is the proper human diet and it doesn't in typically, you know, a real food keto protocol is not going to include, you know, all the packaged foods out there with the keto label slapped out, you know, like the, what would people call it? Dirty commercialized keto. keto. Right. But yes, the commercial keto yeah. that, you know, you go in the grocery store, Oh, look, Duncan mm-hmm. Hines has keto mug cake. Yay. 35 carbs. Like if people get excited about that. Mm-hmm. So our, we're, we're talking about like a clean, whole real foods. whole foods, ketogenic approach that the reason it helps people overcome ed mm-hmm. is that because it's satisfying, it's nutrient dense yeah. and, you know, it satiates us in ways that other, you know, that carbohydrates don't. And, and it so, kills those cravings, you know, yes, you don't, exactly. when you balance those dopamine receptors in your brain, let's say for carbs, right? Mm-hmm. It actually balances those receptors. So you don't get those insane cravings that you can't right. control because we cannot control them most of the right. times. Well, because when you're eating real whole foods like that, and you're eating them in normal amounts, you eat when you're hungry, you stop when you're full, mm-hmm. you also maintain normal steady blood sugar. When you eat carbs, your blood sugar is like wildly out of whack. And so your hormones are out of whack. Like you feel like, I mean, I just always like felt crazy. Like, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I so darn hungry all the time? Like it just, it was so like frenzied and not calm and, you know, eating real food, I believe it calms us down. You know, I feel that overall, everything is, I just feel calm. I'm not frenzied. I'm not looking for something, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually experimenting the whole blood sugar. I know you're using the glucose, yes. the continuous. This, I have yes. mine right here. Yeah, mine's right here. <laughs> the continuous glucose monitor. And I'm actually purposely eating some bad foods because I am documenting and trying to figure out like what happens in my body, like mm-hmm. after I eat those foods. So yesterday I had some bad carbs, like junk carbs. And my blood sugar was elevated the entire night, like 120s, 130s. And that's never happens. It's like between 70 and 80 and that when Mm -hmm. I sleep. So it's very interesting, but we'll we'll talk about it one day together, maybe, because I'm glad that you're doing this experiment as well. I mainly got it because I wanted to see what was happening when I sleep. And what happens like when I start, you know, working out and what different types of workouts mm-hmm. and even too, like what, what keto foods, keto approved foods, yeah. you know, do I, how do I react to those things? And so far what I have discovered is I might basically, because I'm not experimenting by purposely trying to send it high or anything that is that it's very steady and it does like in the middle of the night, it does occasionally drop lower. Mm-hmm. And so then I have kind of an exaggerated dawn effect in, in the morning, but that's, it's pretty much what I expected though. It's fairly yeah. stable. And then, you know, it's interesting to see too, like certain workouts, like a hit workout, like does yes. jack up my blood sugar. Not for yes. very long, 30 minutes later, it goes back down, but mm-hmm. like weight training does not like if I do like a steady weight training, it does not increase my blood sugar, but it's definitely very interesting. Even stress. I got like annoyed in traffic. Yes. And like my blood sugar went up and I'm like, wow, like and yeah. stress, a huge thing. People don't think of stress as a, you know, a bad thing for your blood sugar. You don't think you don't, everybody thinks like, oh, why are you checking your blood sugar? You're not diabetic. You don't have to be diabetic yeah. to, that's right. Your blood sugar controls pretty much everything, how you feel, like your mind, your, your energy. It's huge. I had a a very similar experience. Like it's true. Like, so I've noticed that too, like when I get agitated, but the most pronounced one I had was early, you know, I get up early in the morning Mm. and I got up one morning and my fasting blood sugar was 79. I scanned it before I got out of bed. It was 79. And I got up and I went to the kitchen and there was a mess there that wasn't there the night before. And this is a discussion we've had in my house. (laughs) like a million times. Right. So I don't know. I just saw it and I was like pissed and I clean it up, you know, I'm like kind of seething about it and I clean it up, you know, and I'm like, "Mm," you know, and then I check my blood sugar again, like 20 minutes later. And it was like 126 and shot up from 70 just because I was angry. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Oh, wow. That's pretty telling. I want to go back to fasting because you recently did a seven day fast. You just finished last week, I think. Yes. And yeah, tell me about that. I mean, I wasn't sure. I knew you fasted a little bit, but 
was this your longest fast or this, this was my longest fast, but oh. so I started fasting in like my first intentional fast was like late in 2015. Wow. And I say intentional because prior to that, like I was already intermittent fasting. I just mm-hmm. didn't realize that that was the thing. It had just happened naturally because, gotcha. you know, when I, that first year I did what everybody knows to do, right. I ate three meals a day and two snacks. And then again, towards the end of that first year, one of my, another one of my revelations was why am I eating when I'm not hungry? You know, I'm, I'm having these, yeah. like, cause some days I'd be like, Oh, it's dinner time, you know? And I just didn't want to eat. And finally one day I was like, why am I, why am I eating if I'm not hungry? Mm-hmm. So then I just decided, okay, I'm only going to eat when I'm hungry. And so I fell into this, like, you know, naturally intermittent fasting. I ate twice a day typically. And then I discovered that it was an actual thing. And mm-hmm. so I, of course I started reading about it and all of that. My first fast was tensional fast was, you know, I attempted to do, and I did it 24 hours, but it was the worst day of my life. Like I was fat adapted at that point. I was hardly ever hungry, but the minute, like I wasn't prepared for like it psychologically mm-hmm. so the minute that I was like, okay, I'm not eating for 24 hours. My ed brain started working overtime and it was just torture. I was like watching yeah. the clock and I started thinking about what am I going to eat? Like I had that obsessive, like thinking about food that I hadn't had in so long. So the lesson that I learned, you know, from that was, you know, don't think about food. And, you know, and I remind myself, look, I'm fat adapted. My, you know, body could, my body, there's still fat on my body that from donuts I ate 10 years ago, like my body could eat that like on this fast. So when I first started fasting in 2015, after that first fast, and I got my mindset right about it, mm-hmm. I started experimenting and I did a lot for a couple of years. I did like every month I would do like a four to six day fast. And I never went past six days, I had this mental block of, Oh, I I can't imagine going longer than that without eating, even though every time I fasted, I felt awesome, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just felt like wonder woman, you know, that euphoria you get from fasting long, I loved it. And then I don't know what happened, really, honestly, I just stopped fasting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did intermittent, I've always done intermittent fasting, but I stopped that extended fasting. And then last year, I realized, I think that I need to incorporate more like I miss that. And Mm. I think I'm missing out on the benefits of it, especially like going through menopause right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Going through menopause has been like, you know, kind of eye opening. So I, in the fall, I did like a five day fast this past fall. Mm -hmm. And then I hadn't fasted again until this last week. I did, I did a whole week and I really, I spent weeks mentally preparing for it. It was not like I just decided, Oh, I'm going to do seven days. I literally, I had to mentally prepare. I started purposely like, you know, I was reading life in the fasting lane. Again, Mm -hmm. I pulled out my complete guide to fasting. I pulled up YouTube on fasting and I listened to podcasts. Like I just started really. And then I made, you know, this list of like, why do I want to do it? Mm -hmm. What am I hoping to get out of it? And, And all of that. And then I wrote down like some encourage, like things to help encourage me. And the last thing I wrote down was it's okay to be uncomfortable. And that was the thing I had to remember, like throughout the week that there was going to be times of discomfort and that was okay. I think people panic when they, you know, start doing longer fasting and we get that irrational fear, you know, from not eating. And Mm -hmm. I think that goes, you know, that's connected to like our disordered Mm -hmm. relationship with food. Cause I was one of those people too, who. I always ate fast mm-hmm. and, you know, I ate in secret and I ate everything. Like I, it was like, there was always this fear, like that if I didn't eat, someone else was going to eat it if I didn't eat it. And I don't even know like why that I never in my childhood, never went hungry or anything. We always had everything we needed, but for what, some reason there's that like mentality there. Of, that, about the that the habitual thinking yeah. of food, like that noon comes or like dinner time. And yeah. all we can think about is food. So I yeah. get it. Like people that are starting to fast, like initially, like that's what I hear a lot. It's like, how do you get over this mental hurdle? Yeah. Like, yeah. You just, you just have crying. You're yeah. Just I just, for me, I just remind myself, like, here's yeah. all the benefits, like nothing bad is going to happen. Okay. And it's, you know, this is how humans evolve. Like this idea of, you know, three meals a day, this mm-hmm. is a new thing. Like, yes. you know, and so when I say like the majority of the population is disordered with food on the very basic level, almost everybody is disordered because we follow 
eating by the clock, you know, yeah. breakfast in the morning, lunch at noon, dinner in the evening. And we know that people do this because like, if you go to a restaurant at 6 PM, there's huge wait, right? You're all, you're waiting. But if you go at 3 PM, you get seated right away exactly. because only people, the only people eating at 3 PM are people that are honoring their hunger and eating when they're hungry, yeah. right? Everybody at 6 PM is there because, Hey, it's dinner time. And that is disordered on a very basic level to, to eat by the mm-hmm. clock. Yeah. So was this fast mainly for, was it combination for weight loss, health benefits, or just kind of proving to yourself that you can go seven days? Like, was there a, a certain purpose for this fast? And how do you feel? <laughs> Not specific. The main specific thing was I just wanted to make it seven days. I wanted mm-hmm. to prove to myself that I could do that. But otherwise, like there was multiple, you know, I wasn't going to be sad if there was fat loss, you know, I wanted the autophagy benefits. I liked that. I recalled, you know, I wanted that euphoria feeling you get when you're fasting. I I wanted to feel that. So, I mean, but there was nothing specific, you know, I didn't, I didn't even weigh myself. Like I started my fast on a Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even weigh myself for the first time until Wednesday morning, because I really didn't want it to be about that. So were you able to exercise or did you just go with how you felt? So Um, I normally lift, like normally my lifting workouts are pretty intense. Mm-hmm. So I did not lift, I did cardio the first few days, few days, and mm-hmm. then I didn't do heavy lifting until the morning of the day that I broke. So on the last day, gotcha. I did a heavy lifting workout and it, the workout went fine. I felt great. I avoided it during the week because mainly because I really wanted to make my goal of seven days. And mm-hmm. I was afraid that the working, the lifting was yeah. going to make me hungry. And I was like, I'd rather just like not deal with the hunger. But what did you break your fast with? If you don't mind me asking, it was really boring. It was a chicken breast with guacamole. (laughs) Hey, boring is good. Like you want the boring. This is something I did on my recent podcast that I just released on Wednesday. The the whole refeed situation, we feel like we have to somehow make up for the fast that we did. So now we have to refeed and we put so much attention on that refeed. It's almost like a celebratory thing. Yeah. We always like, I used to end up overeating because I made this big deal about a refeed. And then next thing I know, I'm like eating freaking everything inside because I feel so deprived. So I did a lot of this my first year when I started fasting. And then last year I worked on the whole refeed stuff because it's key. It's, it's super important. If you fast for seven days or even three days and you just go and just eat everything at sight, you really lose the benefit. Yeah. It's like, what's the point? Don't even do it. I'm undoing it. Yeah. 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 Do you think so for going back to fasting I hear, sometimes I hear, and I think we touched on this a little bit for people that are binge eaters that a lot of times they don't, fasting is not recommended. And I have a couple of different thoughts on this. I want to hear yours. And we mentioned this already, like you said that, you know, if you're going to eat terrible and then go and fast for three days because you feel bad, that's not healthy. But if you use the binge eating in a sense of like, okay, I don't need this food. I can kind of tune into my body and listen to my body and not feel like I have to have food all the time. Like, what are your, like, what are your thoughts on the fasting and binge eating disorder? Yeah. So I think there are definitely certain people who should not do extended fasting if they haven't repaired that relationship with food yet, or they attempt to fast and find that it is a trigger, you know, for, for ending in a binge. So, you know, I think if, for people out there that who keep, you know, doing long fasts and then end up binging that probably stop doing the, the long fasting and stick with intermittent fasting, you know, until, or you, you have control you know, restrict. Yeah. Until you've, you know, address the reasons why you're, you're using food for things other than hunger. So, I mean, it's not for everybody, but I think intermittent fasting is safe for, you know, everybody, I think it is a useful tool in recovering from an ed, you know, cause it's not too long, but I think when you get into those extended numbers that if you're just obsessing about food the whole time and you ended in a binge, that that's not a good idea for you to continue trying that. 
if you know certain foods are your triggers, even if you do a fast, you clean out those receptors, balance out those receptors, dopamine, serotonin. If you go back to eating sugar, carbs, you're going to be right in the same spot where you started. You're going to have these cravings again that you cannot control. Right. Like, I mean, if you can control them, great, but I have not been able to control them. Every time I eat bad carbs, (laughs) I want more. Yeah, that's exactly. And you know, it's not just what I would put in the category of of bad carbs. There are things that are on every keto approved food list that I've seen that I cannot eat because I know my personal experience with it. So Mm. like I gave up nut butters, Mm. Greek yogurt, heavy cream, because I had moderation issues with, with those, you know, I would be, I would get nut butter. And let me be clear, like nut butter was never something I had prior to keto. I discovered nut butter on keto. I was never a peanut butter person. In fact, I didn't like peanut butter unless it was in a Reese's cup. So I discovered nut butter, you know, about three years into my keto journey and didn't take me long to realize that I shouldn't eat it Mm -hmm. because I would, you know, stick the spoon and I'd be like, you know, I'm like not measuring it out. And I'm like, Oh, it's probably just, you know, one or two servings, but you can get about five servings on one spoon dunk mm-hmm. into a, a jar of almond butter, right? And the I carbs add up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I cannot keep cashew butter or almond butter yeah. at home because I will eat half of the jar because yeah. it's so yummy. But yeah. you know what I found? I get these little packets. Yeah. In the store. I did that for a while. <laughs> yeah. And I freeze them. I put okay. them in the freezer. So if I want one, I have to take one out and it takes about, you know, yeah an hour for it to defrost. So this way I'm not like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to eat all these. So, but I do. Yeah, you're right. Like just avoid it out of, out of sight, out of mind. Don't keep it at home. You know, and obviously people have kids and stuff. So I get it. Sometimes it is hard, but just keep it hidden somewhere. So you're not, it's not right there for you to see and trigger your mind or your brain to want to eat it. Why do you think we're so obsessed with food? And this is not just carbs. It's just in general. Like, yeah. is it because we just eat less and less of like whole foods, actual whole yeah. foods? Like, well, you- obviously it tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's the first one. It tastes good. But also I think today you look, there's books. What is it? The Dorito effect I read uh, hooked by Michael Moss. I think hooked mm-hmm. it's called. The food manufacturers are partly to obviously what we put in our mouth is our choice. So like, we can't blame it all on, you know, these outside things. We, we, bottom line is we make choices. However, we are helped by the processed food industry. I mean, they literally engineer foods to be, you know, palatable and addicting to keep us buying them. So one, like we keep eating stuff because it tastes good Two, somewhere along the line, it has become our friend, like we look at it as, you know, people will say things like I'm an emotional eater. Yeah. And that basically means we think food is going to make us feel better. And, you know, maybe in the moment it does, maybe, you know, I can think of plenty of times where like that first bite was like, Oh, you know, heaven, but then immediately like the destructive part kicks in right after that. Like you really only have a moment of pleasure and then guilt and shame comes in and, and then the physical repercussions. Yeah. And I think also like society, there's a huge emphasis, you know, on food. Like you drive down the street, like every other block is a fast mm-hmm. food place. The grocery stores are, you know, we have mega stores, you know, like the subconscious everywhere. Yeah. Subconscious conditioning of your mind yeah. is just, yeah. yeah, it is, it is everywhere. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard, but well, look at all the food show. Like, really, we're bombarded with it oh between gosh. billboards and all yeah. the restaurants, fast food places. You know, all the display of you know in the stores. It's at coming at us all the time. Commercials, mm-hmm. food shows. You know, like there's a million food shows. Yeah, convenience too. I think people yeah, yeah. are more rushing, busy. You know, stressed yeah. out. Like, gotta get the kids from school, run home, just pick up some McDonald's. Yeah, it's easy, you know, so it, yes. it's hard to make that transition yes. when you are a life of convenience package food. I mean, I've, I've worked with a lot of people, you know, and a lot of clients have said, well, what do I eat? If I can't have this, 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 what do I eat? So it really is like a complete paradigm shift to go from eating, you know, garbage processed mm-hmm. food to eating real food. You really have to like, you know, put some 
some thought into it and yeah, some effort into it. And now for me, you know, at this point over seven years, it feels effortless. And I, you know, I have to remind myself for some, the new person, like they don't, you know, I tell myself like the new person, they don't know anything. They don't know yet. They don't, you know, and like, so it's my job to, you know, teach them. But so for me, you know, in my mind, it's easy now. It's like, oh, I'll just toss a steak in the air fryer or, or if I'm out and I need something convenient, I can go to Wendy's or McDonald's and order just beef patties. Like there's nothing that I think people get overwhelmed and think when they're out, like there's no other options. They're like, well, I was starving. So I just went to McDonald's. Well, you can order just patties at mm-hmm. McDonald's. You know, lots of people do it. And that's fine. If you're in a pinch, it's not a big deal to just go get patty, you know, you know, to go get some patties. But, you know, I think it just takes practice too. Like once you start eating real food and you, realize that it is fairly simple, but it's really hard to break out of that habit of packaged stuff because it is very convenient. What advice would you give somebody that's just starting off this journey that you went through yourself and maybe they, you know, mess up and they go and eat something that triggers them and they feel guilty. And it's like this like cycle that they go through what Mm -hmm. like, what advice would you give to those people that are struggling in this initial you know, first few months or first year of this recovery, food sobriety thing, because that's hard. (laughs) Yeah. So initially, what I tell people that I'm working with is don't try to diet. You know, when you're when your goal is to get free from the obsession of food and to, Mm -hmm. to turn your health around, because you're, you know, in dire straits because of how you've been eating. We don't need to diet, we don't need to count macros. I mean, the Macros are a tool that many people can use, but when you're trying to get free from, you know, compulsive eating and binge eating, you can't be trying to diet your way through withdrawal. So Mm. my initially those first couple weeks or even, you know, months, I tell people don't even worry about macros, dump the diet mentality, focus on eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. And for some people that may feel like they're eating a lot of food, but if I would rather see someone eat, you know, four bunless burgers, if that's what it takes for them to feel satisfied, than to go off the rails and binge on carbs. Because eventually, I mean, you know, when you're eating only nutrient dense food, eventually, your body has no choice but to feel physically satisfied. And then you have that relief, you're like, Oh, for once, I'm not hungry. So you know, that's how I coach people in the beginning is don't worry about calories and things like like you Mm -hmm. can't focus on that you have just got to focus on every food decision being the right kind of food that you're that you're only putting nourishing foods in your body, Mm -hmm. and not foods that harm you. And then as far as you know, like, avoiding triggers and things like that, a lot of people will say, you know, I know that I still struggled that first year, because I was trying to, you know, replace all my favorite carbs. And if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have done it that way. You know, I would have, you know, the whole cravings thing, when you feed cravings, they keep coming back. So if we want to get rid of them, Mm -hmm. we have to stop feeding them. So, you know, I tell people don't, you know, like avoid the sweet stuff, because as long as you keep eating the sweet stuff, even if it is stevia, zero calories, zero on the glycemic index, if it is compelling you to want to keep having sweets, then it's Mm -hmm. not benefiting you. It's not serving you well. So that's like my biggest, it was try to just get the sweet stuff out of your life so you can feel free. That's good advice. Yeah. Do you currently eat like still IF or OMA? Do you follow a certain schedule when it comes to eating? I still pretty much intermittent fast naturally. Like, I mean, unless I'm experimenting and intentionally doing something, Mm -hmm. I just naturally intermittent fast. I typically eat twice a day. Sometimes very rarely these days do I eat only one meal a day. So if that happens, it's usually like on a Saturday and my husband and I've gone to roadhouse and I get like a one pound prime rib with a bunch of butter and I don't need to eat anything else that day. What type of coaching do you do right now? You mentioned a little bit about group coaching for binge eating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that would love to go through stuff like that when they're starting off. I think, you know, yeah. coming from someone that has gone through this themselves, that's why I think I adore you so much. And I think you're so real and just the information that you put out, just going through your own experience is so invaluable. Like you just cannot get that from a site, you know, 
therapists out there that's never gone through a binge eating disorder. Thank you. Yeah, I just, I found that, you know, for so long, I felt like, like I was suffering, you know, I did, I like suffered in silence. I thought I'm the worst person ever. Like I cannot get my crap together. Like what, but then, you know, after healing and interacting with other people, I realized like a lot of people have this issue. So I may as well talk about it. So I do, I work with people one-on-one. I don't have a whole lot of like one-on-one openings these days, but you know, coach Jessica and I have the eight week food addiction group and we cover things like, you know, we go through like, what are the steps to sobriety? We talk about how, when we're going through recovery, how it affects our relationships. We talk about, you know, who's in our circle of influence. We talk about practical things too, like, you know, what are strategies and tools getting through the holidays and how do you deal with naysayers and food pushers and negative people. And so it's eight weeks of pretty intent. We cover a a lot of topics and the goal is for people to get food sober. So for people that are like struggling, you know, there's a lot of people who they want to be keto, but they can't string together more than three, four or five days, Mm -hmm. or maybe they've been keto a long time and they thought like they were fixed. And then something happened like last year was tumultuous for everybody. Right. And a lot of people stopped what they were doing and and started eating bad and gaining weight. And then they've been struggling to get back on. So basically, you know, if you're somebody who obsessively thinks about food and you're up and down with your weight and you're, you're obsessed with your body, our group can help you. And then I also work with coach Elaine, my friend Elena, we help, we run a reverse diabetes group for people Mm. to help them get their blood sugar numbers normal. And we of course promote a real food protocol. So these people that we work with, it is that whole, what we were talking about, like making the switch from boxed food in the inner aisles of the grocery store to eating real food. And that is the biggest challenge I think for, for people. And so we work with them on that and getting their numbers down and, and their eyes are opened. Like when we get rid of the packaged food and eat real food, the blood sugar goes down. Are these courses like, do they happen at certain time during a certain month or can you buy them and go through them yourself or like, how do they yeah. work? So the one-on-one coaching, the private coaching that I offer, that's like a monthly subscription until the, until my, the client cancels mm-hmm. the food addiction group. We have a new one that starts every month. Like the one that we have starting this month is June 27th. We usually have two going at the same time. They're kind of staggered. So like the one, you know, the one we start at the end of June, we have another one going already. That'll be halfway through. And then the reverse diabetes group is an ongoing group. People can join or leave at any time. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And excuse me, best way to uh, get in contact with you if you want to, if somebody wants to join one of your groups, is it through your website or Instagram? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. So ketocoachmary.com will, you know, that's my website with my blog and on Instagram and Facebook, it's ketomary71. Okay. And I will list all that stuff in this description if people want to contact you. Great. And you. awesome. Thank you. Well, last question. I want to respect your time, of course, but I ask this question to all of my guests because I learned so much through this question. And this is, what are the three things that you wish you knew sooner about pretty pretty much anything in your life, whatever, relationships, diet, lifestyle? Okay. So with food, I wish I knew sooner that carbs were what was holding me back. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew that I didn't have to marry the first person that asked me. <laughs> um, and oh, and okay. And so for fitness, I wish I knew that weightlifting was going to get me to mm-hmm. where I wanted to go more than cardio would like mm-hmm. my entire life. I was just all about the cardio. Cause I thought that's what I needed for fat loss. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that weightlifting was better. Yeah. Weightlifting is amazing. Ladies yes. don't be afraid of lifting weights. That's right. I'm going to become Get strong Schwarzenegger <laughs> by yeah. lifting weights. That's I know right. women are so afraid. It changes the shape of your body. It makes a, it I'm a big problem. I've lifted weights since I was 16 years old. So I, I'm a, and I'm still not Arnold, right? So right. you're not going to get big. You're not going to get bulky. Lift yeah. weights. I'm always amused by that. I'm like, you know, like weightlifting has not made me bulky, but being fat, I was bulky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people are not afraid of being fat. That's yeah. bulky to me, <laughs> not like muscle bulky. It's so funny. Yes. Yeah. No, those are great. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you so much, Mary. 
Thanks Thank you for, for your time. Me. I enjoy talking to you. I think the information that you shared with me today and with everyone is going to be very valuable to a lot of people because this, oh, this whole so. topic is such a it's a it's a big topic. A lot of people struggle with this. I have struggled with this mm-hmm. myself. I speak about it on some of my podcasts as well. And I still struggle. This actually inspired me to lean more towards the lower carb slash keto because I did more and I felt better. And with fasting, I think it just, it would make a big, big difference in how I feel in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot, I think it's a lot more common than we think, you know, I think typically people think of eating disorders as bulimia or anorexia, but it's so much more than that. It's like, there's so many, you know, disordered behaviors that fall into the category of an eating disorder and people just don't think that that's what their issue is. They think that they just lack willpower and discipline and, you know, they're just lazy. Like they blame themselves instead of, you know, recognizing, you know what, I have a disordered relationship with food. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So cheers to food sobriety. Thank you for, (laughs) for being here. And I look forward to chatting with you some more in the future. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share it on your social media, and be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Follow Monica on Instagram at fit.fat.hotaf and on Twitter at fitfathotaf.